Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the Podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the Podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 14 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today, I'm joined by Jared Hales. He, along with several members of his family, owned and operate Hasea Coffee Source in Anaheim, California. Besides being a co-owner, he is the acting coffee buyer and broker. Hasea is the company that works the supply chain between the farmers, coffee brokers, and co-ops, and your favorite local coffee roasters, home roasters, and anyone else who has a need for green coffee. On the show today, we're going to talk quite a bit about working with family, and what makes someone take that next step from working for the man to becoming the man. The next time you're on the internet, be it on your phone or computer, I'd appreciate it if you'd head to roastwestcoast.com and subscribe to the newsletter that goes along with this show. You'll find show recaps, more coffee news, education, and updates on what is happening with guests and partners of this show. The newsletter is always free, but if you choose to pay for a subscription or buy us a cup of coffee, it'll help us continue to grow this show. And the show is why you're here, so let's get into it. I'm drinking a batch brew from Moster Coffee that I picked up on my way to the podcasting booth earlier today. It was a very roundabout trip, considering the podcast booth is in my closet, and Mostra, well, Mostra isn't. But hopefully I've stalled enough here for you to fill up your own cup of coffee, because it is time for this interview with Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee Source on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Jared, it's really nice to meet you. Yeah, welcome to the Roast West Coast uh, Coffee Podcast. And before we get too far, if you could just state, you know, your name, what your business is, your job title, favorite Ninja Turtle, if you have one. <laughs> yeah, my name is Jared Hales, owner and I guess operator of Hasea Coffee Source. Favorite Teenage Ninja Turtle. Never really watched it. <laughs> oh, it hurts me in my heart a little bit. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm about 50 50 uh, with people I ask that question to now. That was just all a little trick to get you to pronounce the name of your business. Gotcha. Uh, which when I was looking at it, I was like, <laughs> man, I could say this a bunch of different ways. Let's start by what are you drinking over there? It looks like you have a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's why I was about two minutes late there. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm drinking a Kenyan coffee we just brought in. I brewed it with the, the Tricolate Brewer. Have you seen that brewer before? I have not. It's pretty interesting. The idea is you can get um, some pretty high extractions with less coffee. So, so far it works pretty well. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. And never apologize for being late if you're making a cup of coffee. We're, <laughs> we're just fine with that. I'm actually drinking a coffee myself, which I don't always do on the show, uh, just depending on when we record. But I just made a um, pour-over morning Dove coffee from Lofty Coffee. Lofty is not 
like an official sponsor of this show or anything, but I just want to say it on the record that I stopped by there and had this coffee on their batch brewer the other day. And I was just like, so taken with it that I bought a bag to bring home. Excellent. Uh, so thanks for that. <laughs> I, I try to visit lofty every time I'm passing by. I try to visit a lot of new shops and, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say that means I forget about some of like these great long-term roasters, but I was like, no, I'm going to make a concerted effort today to drive down and stop there. That's the only thing I'm doing. And it was definitely worth it. I wanted to kind of get some backstory on you and on this business. And I just want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. It's Hasea. So part part of our uh, name development, if if those listening don't already know, we, we have um, four family members are equal partners in our business. And when we first came up with the name, we disagreed on how to pronounce it and still do. So <laughs> I would say there's no right way to pronounce it or wrong way. I say Hasea. A lot of people say Hasea. It's kind of whatever, whatever flows. Whatever sounds good to the person who's <laughs> buying the coffee, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so let's start. Let's go back before that. You, you're working with family. But prior to opening this business, did you have any experience running a business or owning a business or working with family? So I've worked in coffee since 2008 in various roles in the supply chain, obviously on the U.S. side of things. I have quite a bit of experience in manager positions during that time. So although I've never owned my own business prior to this, I had a lot of experience managing other people's businesses, as did you know my family. So we're all managers outside of Hasea, right? As far as working with family goes, yes, actually, my previous position, I was fortunate enough to have <laughs> my wife working there, my sister worked there for a time, my brother, who is now a business partner, worked there. And my friends worked there as well. So definitely working with friends and family is not new to me. It's actually quite normal, which, you know, I, I think has great positives. There's the human element and the, you know, the, the dramatic element of it where personal relationships bleed into work, right? Uh, but I feel like... Personally, I'm pretty good at keeping things separate and professional. (laughs) And let's bring your brother into the room. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's really interesting. You know, I've said on the show a bunch, but I've worked with family quite a bit too. And uh, in the early days of our relationship, my wife and I worked together quite a bit. You know each other better and you can kind of predict each other better. But sometimes when there's disagreements, it can be a little bit more emotional and harder to navigate right. because this is someone that you like, you can't just go home and take the day off from being family. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and so, like you kind of hinted at, the, the trust and the dependability is there 100%. It's just when the, the conflicts come up, they're a little bit more intense and passionate, as you, as you put it. So I think having kind of boundaries, you know, for example, if it's if it's off hours, which are pretty slim hours around here, you know, we're not we're not really talking about work after 9 p.m., let's say. Right. It's like, okay, turn it off. We're done with that. 
or you get a jousting stick out and you settle it like <laughs> you know, like you're 12 years old again. Right. Well, that's pretty interesting. Let's talk about you specifically. And just, you said you've been working in coffee since 2008 in some capacity. Did you have kind of a first experience with coffee that made you think, this is really interesting. I want to get into this sort of industry as a career. What led you down that path? That's kind of a big question there. But uh, I started, actually, my first job, you could kind of consider it coffee, was McDonald's. I was working in the McDonald's drive through in high school. And so obviously, brewing up McCafe drinks <laughs> with a push of a button. No, but then uh, my friends had actually worked in a in a coffee shop together for a couple of years before I got a job at uh, a friend's coffee shop. They they purchased this local shop and you know needed people, and so I kind of jumped in more from you know just a teenage uh, customer service position, and then started going to school, uh, college, and then managed that shop. The, the manager that was originally there when I started was an SCA. Back then they had like level one, level two, right? He, so he was an SCA certified barista and he is the one who taught me how to, you know, prepare espresso correctly and, you know, the whole best practices. And then kind of from there, having uh, friends who were also in the coffee industry, we kind of exchanged you know, mostly customer stories, right? But also coffee stories. And just kind of the longer we all did it, the more we obviously started to learn just naturally. I wouldn't say I was actively seeking out new coffee information for a long time until, I don't know, until really until I saw green coffee for the first time. And I, my mind was kind of blown. And there was, I, I really can't explain it. There's just something about it where like a whole door opened and I realized I knew nothing. And this was an entire industry, like a machine, right? Just uh, feeding the world, really. And there's something like 2.5 billion cups of coffee drank every day globally. And so seeing, seeing green coffee kind of just sparked something in me where I really wanted to learn more and be a part of really, it sounds cheesy, but part of something bigger than just a coffee shop and kind of never really looked back. I, I started to <laughs> just show up at this place that had green coffee and, and uh, I would sweep the floor. Literally I would, Hey, where's the broom? I'll sweep. I'll sweep till you hire me, you know? <laughs> and and that's how it went down. I started working for a coffee importer. I was actually delivering sacks of coffee and managing the warehouse and the coffee. And so from there, also started learning to cup and sample roast and roast. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. You mentioned that you saw green coffee and a door opened and... Yeah. I think a lot of people have moments like that, but it's a scary moment where you could close that door. You could also say, you know what? I don't want to step through and discover this thing. But if it, if it happens to be the thing in your life that you're passionate about, it seems like a no brainer. Like I'm, I'm stuck now. I'm following this <laughs> till the end, but that's not always the case. I think, and it depends on the person and the personality, but 
I, I want to make sure that people know where are you guys based? We didn't actually say that at the beginning. We're based in uh, Anaheim, Anaheim Hills, right off the 91 freeway. Which is, to me, a, kind of a unique location because you're between L.A., you're between Orange County, Riverside, San Bernardino, you know, up and right. you've kind of have access to everything. Right. What kind of benefits or challenges do you face kind of having your business there as that pivot point? Well, like you said, we we I mean, we're from that area. Um, I was actually born in the hospital on the same freeway exit that I take to get there now. So definitely familiar with the area, but we, we really chose that specific area because of the access, right? Um, I mean, we were looking in places around Fullerton and Orange, basically anywhere near the 91 freeway where we could get to the five quickly. That way, as you put it, we can get out to Riverside, San Bernardino. So the, the decision to be there was very much intentional for that access. Uh, we also are doing, you know, a lot of tastings in person and we're hosting classes. So it was important that the space be somewhat presentable, which, uh, you know, didn't stuff us into the back of a hardcore industrial zone. Um, so that was another criteria that we kind of had to meet. Honestly, we haven't felt any, any negative uh, aspects of being where we're at so far. We have great neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very good. And I, I apologize to you and to anyone listening because I'm a little jumpy this morning. This is my second or third cup of coffee. So I've kind of jumped out of the <laughs> timeline a bit. But you're working in coffee and you're working for a coffee importer and you're learning as you go. At what point do you start thinking about opening your own business and and opening it with your family and saying, man, this is just something we, we we're managers and we want to, we want to go to that next level. Right. Honestly, I've almost said last year, I feel like pandemic start is kind of from pandemic start to now is kind of one year, right? <laughs> one year or three was the difference. Yeah. It's one circular loop that until we <laughs> yeah. get out of it is all just the same day. Right. So I almost said last year, but really it was um, back in 20, Probably early 2019, my family and I started getting together and kind of talking that way, um, not about coffee, but just, you know, in the context of, hey, we're all in management positions with a lot of responsibility. We all know, you know, how to run things basically is what we're kind of realizing. And the conversations turned into, why don't we do something? You know, why don't we do something together if we can do it for somebody else and we can certainly do it for ourselves. And so we had started doing meetings uh, somewhat regular, regularly and kind of talking about what we might actually do. And it wasn't until March 2020 when the pandemic actually, you know, took full effect. I got laid off and within a month we had our green coffee business. It was an easy choice. <laughs> it made it may force the the decision. Um, exactly. How did you come up with that name? You mentioned that it that it causes some dissension, so to speak. <laughs> uh, but how did you choose it? And then kind of you know what does it mean? And then you guys have an interesting logo, and I have a thought on it, but I want to know how you would describe. It. Right. So we honestly we no exaggeration wrote down about two hundred fifty to three hundred names. It was quite a process. 
you know, maybe another drawback of working with family is everyone is somewhat similar in personality types. And so it was really difficult to find something that we could all agree on because we're so stubborn. Or, or as you probably know, there's just a lot of coffee companies out there. So it's kind of difficult to find, you know, a, a name that hasn't been taken that you like. So ultimately how we found this name, we actually took the plant family name that coffee is a part of, which is uh, Ruby, Ruby Asea, and combined our family name, which is Hales, and kind of just did a little custom mashup to get Hasea or Hasea. And then the logo, what would you, how would you describe the logo? I'm kind of curious to hear what you think before I answer that. So I, I waver because every time I've looked at your website, my, I, my brain will go, oh, there's an avocado. Or it'll go, <laughs> oh, there's a, uh, a climbing carabiner. Uh, oh, okay. maybe it's a coffee bean, but I still think it looks more like a carabiner to me. Like, and I, <laughs> but I think I've had a different reaction kind of every time. And it's a very kind of an, an oval, oblong, maybe an abstract mm-hmm. coffee right. bean thing if I were thinking about it from a design standpoint but so the first version we all looked at it and we thought that's an avocado (laughs) but so we actually had to make some changes to it to try and make it less like an avocado again there the the avocado joke remains so this is definitely going to reignite a lot of conversation here Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. (laughs) Hey, I I love avocados. It's my one of my favorite foods. So, (laughs) but uh, but no, it was actually it was actually at the very surface level based on a motorcycle drive drivetrain. So chain and sprocket. So you have the you know the drive sprocket and then the the sprocket on the wheel and the and the chain or belt to to drive it. Right. That's like at the very very surface level. One of the things that we all have in common is we all ride motorcycles together. It's probably the only activity that we all do, you know, collectively. So, so at, at the very surface, it was kind of based on that. And if you go into our tasting room, you know, we kind of have some little splashes of motorcycle culture in there. Um, actually the colors were, uh, pretty much taken directly from Husqvarna motorcycles. (laughs) I was going to ask if you had a brand that your family was partial to. Yes, we we, we own quite a few Husqvarna motors, motorcycles. Uh, too many, probably. This logo was developed by our good friend Nathan, who you know he's a professional designer and branding expert, and he he took us through hours and hours of Q and A, and you know it was really really. Um, in-depth kind of questions about who we were going to be and um you know he is incredible for that because he can kind of guide someone onto another level that personally i can't really get to on my own and so you know not only is it the at at the first glance that drivetrain but also you know an infinite loop of connectedness you know hasea is really about connection between producers and roasters our role in this supply chain is really a middleman, you know, not to put it too glamour, glamorously. <laughs> so, so kind of realizing that and leaning into that and adding value with, you know, our service, our transparency, um, the quality, 
you know, we are, we need to make sure that the producers and exporters that we work for or work with are happy and the roasters that we work for or with are happy uh, and everyone in between is happy. If everyone is, you know, getting a win in their own role in the supply chain, there's no reason why, you know, the business can't continue year after year in a very sustainable way. And I, you know, the word sustainability gets kind of blown out of proportion in coffee. But what I kind of mean by that is, is recurring business, right? We're not interested in one and done on any level. We're not interested in buying from a producer one year and bailing the next. We're not interested in selling to a roaster one time and never seeing them again. You know, we're really focused on these long-term kind of business relationships because I think I think that they really are more sustainable and, and resilient, you know, especially in times like now where everything is so out of whack and so unpredictable. These long-term relationships that I've had with producers and roasters have kind of what made this whole thing possible. Sure. Let's make it clear just for anyone listening uh, what Hasea is doing, which is uh, you as the middleman, you're working with producers and farmers and other brokers to bring coffee into, you know, into your business, which you exactly. are then distributing out in a sales format to roasters or, or who, who is the customer for you guys? It's really all roasters. We only offer green coffees. And as you said, we're working with, you know, depending on the country of origin, a few different actors in this industry it could be a uh, farm owner directly. It could be uh, an association or a co-op of small farms. It could be an exporter who's working with those people on our behalf. It could be a washing station owner, right? It's it's complex, something that I love about coffee, actually. And then we bring the coffee to the U.S. and we sell only unroasted green coffee to roasters, really of all sizes. So we not only do we sell the full sacks of coffee that, that coffee is traditionally exported in, but we also break them down and we weigh out one pound, five pounds. We even offer a 20 kilo sack that we make ourselves to roasters who are just hobby roasters doing it for fun and learning or, you know, startup roasters, side hustle roasters who are doing it in their garage and, you know, just selling to friends and family and all the way up to containers of coffee to, you know, more established roasters with multiple shops and wholesale programs and everything. So in a brief answer, our customer is roasters. In a longer answer, they're, they're really all sizes in various walks of their kind of roasting journey. Sure. Has there been any impetus to do your own roasting? I mean, making this choice to work in the middle is, is a choice, clearly. So was there anyone on the, uh, you know, in this, in this family structure that was like, you know, we should do, we should take this step too, or do both sides or, uh, how did you decide to just stick with the green coffee for now? Um, that may have been discussed very early on, but probably got a hard no from me. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I have had the luck and opportunity to, to really learn kind of this niche industry of green coffee. And so I really wanted to lean into that specifically. I think that those are my skill sets. As I mentioned, I have relationships on both ends. And so I really wanted to, you know, 
to continue working with those people. And I don't want to compete with, with our customers, really. I mean, it, it's a hard game. The roasters, you know, they have the best margin, but they have the most competition. And so <laughs> I'm happy to be supporting roasters and, and not in that competition field. <laughs> you, so you don't roast, but what you do do is you offer coffee education one-on-one courses, which I was reading about. Right. You do brewing courses, roasting, tasting. How did you guys go about developing those classes and kind of, besides obviously just selling tickets, like what is the goal of the class for you guys? Yeah, I started, I started teaching those classes at my previous position, like about six years ago now. And actually I have recently kind of done the math on that. And I think that's close to about 700 people that have come through classes that I've taught, which is kind of crazy because I'm actually a very shy person and I hate public speaking. So that has been critical for my personal development. But anyway, the classes, the classes for me are not anything new, right? Really, they're kind of, <laughs> I feel like they're pretty dialed in based on those 700 people that have asked me all sorts of funky left field questions, you know, that I would never expect, which has been great. I knew that when I started the business, I wanted to continue doing those classes for that reason. I mean, like I said, I get questions that I would really never think about on my own. And so it kind of forces me to look at things from a different perspective and, and from there really stretch me and, and, you know, my knowledge. So if someone asked me a question, I'm happy to say, I don't know. Let me, let me try to find out, right? And then that way, when the next next time that gets asked, or I'll even follow up with that person specifically, and I'll have that answer, hopefully. Or maybe the answer is no answer. <laughs> my, <laughs> my first uh, thought when you start talking about this was, I wonder what the weirdest question has been. Do you have any that stand out to you that uh, you're like, man, where did that come from in a, in a coffee class? Uh, I, none come to mind, honestly. I feel like all the questions are fair. So I would say out of all, out of all those 700 people, as kind of a funny anecdote, I had one, one person insist on milk and sugar in their cupping. I gave them milk and sugar. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a really interesting in the cupping where you're yeah. trying to get the flavors. You know what? I think the best coffee for anyone is the coffee that they're drinking. You know, to I agree. Extent. The coffee that they're enjoying. Coffee they're enjoying that makes them want a better cup of coffee and to come to a class. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's anything, you know, about working with coffee for almost 15 years now that really says surprised you or that you kind of learned the hard way through experience. And maybe we can even dial that in further. Like anything you've learned over the last two years while you were starting your own business that surprised you. Interesting question. It's pretty, that's a pretty, I mean, it's a big one, right? So yeah, I like big, broad questions. That way <laughs> I have to make you think about it. But I'm also thinking, you know, there's a step that you and your family have taken where you went from managers to owners. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there was any growing pains to some extent. And if there's anything you're like, well, I wasn't expecting this or and sure. maybe it's coffee specific. Maybe it's business specific. Maybe it's just, you know, day-to-day -day life. I think I made it bigger. <laughs> you did. You did. Um, let me let me hit the first part. I you know I mentioned I started working at a coffee shop in high school, so 
I have really spent my entire adult life working in coffee. So it's kind of hard to say what about coffee specifically has kind of, I guess, what have I learned or, or what has shaped me? Because, I mean, I am shaped by this, uh, you know, because I've been in it as I've grown into an adult and my, my entire life is around coffee. So I've learned, as I mentioned, in just doing the classes, public speaking, you know, communication, green coffee specifically has opened me up to international cultures and languages, you know, so I get, I get to talk to people on different continents on, on a daily basis, right? From, you know, getting to the second part of your question, I, I feel like nothing has been super dramatic in the changeover other than the level of stress, which has honestly decreased significantly as the freedom to kind of, you know, do things the way that uh, I want to do them. Obviously, I have to get my the approval of my partner slash family. But for the most part, you know, just being able to do run things the way I think they should be run, you know, transact in the way that I think that they should be done. All these things have really been a lot easier to be totally honest than in my previous position where I couldn't exactly have that freedom to do things, um, at least at, at the really, really high level, exactly as I wanted to. As far as like challenges, <laughs> it, so- it sounds kind of crazy, but I've, I've just been doing the same thing for so long that uh, I just kept doing it really. So I haven't really faced anything too crazy. Now I would say the pandemic, it would be the big exception to that. Uh, we are essentially logistics providers, right? To get coffee from point A to point B. And logistics has just been totally turned upside down. That has definitely been a huge challenge, but everyone is dealing with it. So it's not like we're isolated or having to figure it out alone, right? We Everybody is kind of in the same boat, sometimes literally. So, <laughs> so we're all just trying to figure it out together. And I have a lot of good relationships with, you know, basically our competition, other traders, other importers. And so I'm constantly talking to them and exchanging information and, and you know, trying to learn from people who know more than me. But yeah, the, pan- the pandemic has been crazy. I couldn't even begin to to explain <laughs> the complexities in less than an hour, you know? Sure. You mentioned something now about talking to people who are essentially your competitors to figure out problems and mm-hmm. it, it leads to the collaborative nature of, of business. And there are certainly some businesses that, you know, keep everything close to the chest and don't want to share any mm-hmm. of that and get that advantage. But you mentioned early on that you, there's less competition in your specific business than there would be if you were a coffee roaster. And I think that kind of also means there's less of there's less people that know what you're going through at, at your work on any given day. Sure. So you can maybe commiserate. Am I understanding that maybe that's something? That yeah, happens? it's kind of, a, again, like I mentioned, it's a specific role, right? And so there are very specific problems. And, and yeah, we can not only share information about how to solve those problems, but also vent to each other a little bit, right? 
And, and kind of talking back to what you said about collaboration, that's, that is really something that I love about coffee. And I just want to throw that out there that I have an opportunity to talk to direct competitors on a daily basis. And, you know, we're, we're friends and we can actually help each other, which is something that I don't, see in other industries, right? I I haven't worked in a lot of other industries, obviously, but, you know, especially working with my family and getting their kind of backgrounds in automotive and manufacturing, et cetera, right? It's not that way in in their industries. And so that was kind of a learning curve for them, I think, is like, no, guys, we are open and, you know, we're basically open books to anyone that wants to check us out. So that's that's a little bit different and and something that I really appreciate in coffee. I noticed that um, when I was scrolling through your social media feeds that at least in a very small way, uh, you had some coffee plants um, that you had planted. <laughs> uh, maybe they're just you know for the desk or whatever. But I'm mm-hmm. wondering, it kind of made me wonder how you guys feel about the growth in domestic coffee crops, pro against. I think it's going to succeed. Niche, you know, any yeah. sort of thought that come up from that. I mean, I personally, I just grow the coffee plants as kind of a learning experiment, right? Mm-hmm. I've killed quite a few babies, unfortunately. It's <laughs> pretty sad. But for me, for me, it's more about like watching the plant and, oh, if I give it this nutrition, it reacts this way, et cetera. Um, as far as domestic cultivation, I think it's interesting to me. I've been following it for a while. Um, you've got coffee growing north of Santa Barbara, right? That's been there for quite some time. I, I think I first tasted it back in 20, uh, about 2015 or something. And, you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't very good either. Unfortunately, I think these types of products kind of become overhyped. And they turn into something other than what they really are. You know, they turn into marketing, really, which I'm not a huge fan of. But at the same time, you know, it's coffee. How do I put this? Coffee is a complex thing, right? And what's going on with our climate is challenging, you know, what we can do with coffee. And so I think the research aspect of attempting to grow coffee in different areas that traditionally you wouldn't think to do it is a good thing. Overall, I think the entire world is really trying to figure out, hey, how can we grow this stuff long term? You know, I'm talking like 20, 50, 100 years. So I, I really appreciate it as kind of a, a uh, research project. Uh, I just hope that it doesn't turn into this kind of overhyped marketing ploy, right? Or like a cash grab or something. And as far as the quality itself, you know, on a blind cupping table, I don't think it'll ever compete with a lot of the coffees that we're working with. Sure. There's an interesting kind of balancing act, I would imagine that domestic people that are attempting domestic growth are, and we've talked to a few on the show where who have been very upfront about some of the marketing and some of the rarity of it causing the prices to be what they are, but also right. saying, but that's how we're funding the research side of it. And that's sure. how we're, right. right? And, and I think there's some interest in that. And I, I, I've been following it mostly because I've met people through this show that have kind of turned me on to the idea of it. And it is just a really interesting concept, but even they 
who have talked uh, Jay Rusky from Fringe Coffee. Mm-hmm. We talked to on the show, and one of the things he said was he doesn't view any of the coffee that he grows as a replacement for coffee that's coming in from producers that have been right. around. He views right. it as this is something I'm passionate about and learning about, and I want to see grow. And also, I'm a farmer who has a business. And sure. So it's an interesting balancing act. I didn't mean to put you on the spot too much there, but <laughs> hopefully he's not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure Jay listens to the show every episode. He'll probably call you tomorrow. <laughs> no, if anything, I will say that most of the people that I've met that are producing coffee on, on any scale have been very open to conversation about the concept because I think right. there's a lot of levels of coffee production from beyond just the product, but into how employees are treated around the world and coffee farmers, the mm. market that they're in and and how domestic crops could impact them and vice versa that I think everyone's sensitive to. Right. You mentioned early on that you got your start uh, at McDonald's making McCafes and it made me think of my dad who I know used to always make sure he got his, you know, his, his coffee for McDonald's every morning. He might still do that, but I also know that he's, you know, taking a step up in his coffee drinking as well. And there you go. He went of if he wasn't drinking coffee at McDonald's at one point. So, <laughs> is there anything we didn't talk about today um, about your business, about you, uh, that you think people should know about? Give me some time to collect on that. Uh, yeah, take a minute, and I can also ask you. Maybe this is a, probably a better question uh, that we can we can address, which is who among your partners does the most work? Oh, you man. can put that on the record. <laughs> Just you're, kidding. You're going to get me uh, killed. <laughs> what I do want to know is if you're out grabbing a cup of coffee from somewhere else, maybe you're visiting a roaster, what is it that you're ordering? You know, What do you kind of gravitate to as a person? I would say I, I'm 90% or more just a black filter drip coffee. For a couple of reasons, that's what I like. I, you know, I really drink that at home, whether it's, uh, you know, a manual brew or, or I use my Bonavita brewer a lot. But I also think it's a good, I actually think it's a good judge of, of quality and attention to detail at a coffee shop level. Um, you know, the, the batch brew often kind of gets lumped into this batch brew category and you know if someone is paying close attention to that category then it, it kind of says a lot about the attention to detail and and commitment to quality so i usually i usually use it kind of as a two-fold criteria right <laughs> yeah it's a barometer for yeah. if they put attention into this what is maybe stereotypically looked at as the lower end offering mm-hmm. then that's only going to be that much better as you go up the chain. Sure. And the coffee I was drinking today, this morning dove, uh, was a batch brew, you know, and it was, it was great. And I had one the other day from another roaster in town and I walked out of there going, Oh my God, like that batch brew was amazing. Cause I do the same thing, you know, as you, and also it's a good way for me to, to create a baseline of, of coffee experiences around town. Right. That's a good point too. A minute ago, I asked you kind of if there was anything else that we should know about HDS. And I might add to that by just saying, if I were, if I were a new coffee roaster kind of getting my start and, mm-hmm. you know, either on a small scale or starting a cafe, how does that relationship with you start as the person who's sourcing coffee? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I, 
I think a lot of times I get emails, you know, from people that are, that will just say, Hey, send me a price list, you know, and that's not how we really operate. So my response to that is always, yeah, I'll get you a price list, but let's have a conversation first. You know, let me find out what you actually do, what your goals are, what you need. And I can make, you know, better recommendations. I can, maybe you don't need the most expensive coffee for what you're looking for, or you don't want to buy this less expensive coffee because it's not going to meet your customer expectations, right? Really getting, getting to work with us is about that first phone call. And usually it's 30 minutes to an hour, honestly. And it's almost like an interview back and forth. I like to share kind of what we're all about, you know, um, so I really appreciate this opportunity because I feel like a lot of the things we're talking about are kind of in that vein of, of what those phone calls go. You know, they, they, we, we talk about my background, how we can help specifically, and then kind of get into the coffee last, which maybe is not the more traditional route. But again, it's about creating something that's a win for everybody, right, in a recurring kind of way so that these customers... You know, it's really about trust. They, we, we need to build trust with each other, trust that we can get them what they need, what they're looking for, and that when we ship it, we're going to get paid, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, that goes all the way down to the, to the producer level, really. So maybe our workflow is a little bit different in that way, where we really like to get to know who we're working with and meet their needs specifically, rather than just kind of blanket price list and, you know, blanket ads or anything like that. Well, and I think as the coffee is a product that isn't grown overnight and you're working on kind of future products sure. and, you know, past product. And so there has to be a longer term relationship than, than just buying it off the shelf and walking away. Exactly. And, and being the, the coffee importer, the buyer, you know, we have to buy a lot of coffee up front. And a, con- a container is about 42,000 pounds of coffee. And so we definitely do not want to overbuy. So <laughs> um, we are, we as kind of the middleman actor, you know, we're really more of a sourcing partner than just like selling you coffee. And as you mentioned, sometimes we may not have the coffee that you're looking for for several months, right? But those conversations are extremely important to have, especially in this crazy COVID supply chain world where everything is delayed, nothing can be counted on, as, at least as far as shipping. And so those conversations are pretty critical in kind of the green coffee planning, right? Sure. I think uh, COVID has taught businesses in particular a lot of flexibility, whether they wanted to or not. Yeah, yeah. Because there's not much you can do if you're, if the coffee you were expecting to roast for Christmas is on a container ship until the end of January. There's just nothing you can do about it. It's there for, for so you have to learn to adapt. So last, last uh, kind of just to, to make sure that I'm covering it, but anything else that uh, you thought of that we should uh, tell people about Hasea? No, I mean, it kind of feels weird to to like plug. I feel like I'm writing an advertisement or something here, but uh yeah, if, you, if anyone wants to chat about green coffee, just honestly give us a call or email us. You know, we've got um, a lot of great information on our website about the coffees. 
and yeah let's let's cup let's cup coffee <laughs> to recap from the interview Hasea Coffee Source is the connecting point between a coffee's origin and the domestically located coffee roasters, and a resource for coffee education. There are advantages and disadvantages to working with close family. And finally, the name Hasea is a mashup of Jared's last name, Hales, and Rubasea, which is the parent plant of the coffee family. Think of it as Arabica and Robusta's grandparent. There is still some dispute as to how to pronounce the company name, but whether you say Hasea or Hasea, they'll answer the phone if you're calling about green coffee. You can find more info about the company's coffee services, including green coffee sales and coffee education classes, at HaseaCoffee.com. And of course, I'll link to it on RoastWestCoast.com. Thank you for listening to the show today. The next Coffee Smarter episode will be out later this week. Chris O'Brien is back, and while we start and end on the topic of barista competitions, we really meandered down a winding path to get there. Thanks to the Roast West Coast coffee industry partners, Café La Terre, Ignite Coffee Company, Mostra Coffee Company, Leap Coffee, Marea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, First Light Whiskey, and Zumbar Coffee and Tea. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through another day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. If you liked this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast and you want more and more coffee content, please consider buying us a cup of coffee or signing up for a paid subscription to the Roast West Coast newsletter. That would be phenomenal. And with enough subscribers, I'll be able to focus on creating coffee content for you all day every day. Subscriptions are a great way to show appreciation for this show. Just head to roastwestcoast.com to subscribe or leave us a tip. And this month, I'll donate 100% of the new subscriber proceeds to a humanitarian aid group supporting Ukrainian refugees. There are links on roastwestcoast.com to some of those groups if you're interested in doing so yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.